pertinent to believers and and we see in scripture that these mysteries help with your maturity so the the believer that is maturing needs to know these mysteries Uh, and this is something that as an apostle I just don't see anybody else. You could roll out some mysteries, I suppose. Brother Don, we can go on the street and find us an apostle. and Maybe they can tell us something that's probably not in Scripture and call it a mystery. Um, but I just don't see people having this ability to reveal these things. So we left off, and I, I remember this spot this time. I don't have to go to, to Sister Lynn. <laughs> but we had just done uh, the mystery concerning the change of the believer's body. And understanding the the rapture, uh, everyone is not going to necessarily die. There are some believers that are going to have the opportunity to go straight from this body into our new body. And what does that look like? I don't know. Do we have to uh, die and then go up and and have that happen? I I don't think so. I think it's just going to be an instantaneous action where you're... Uh, living like you are now, the rapture happens and boom, you're in the presence of the Lord in that new body. So that would be an amazing thing. We all hope for that to happen today, right? <laughs> Amen. All right. So our, our next one is the mystery concerning God's will. And we see that over in Ephesians chapter one and verse nine. But before we go there, let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day and, and grateful for the grace that you've provided to us. Uh, grateful that in the midst of this world that, uh, as the, the word says, a, a perverse and crooked world that we live in in the months, that we're able to shine as, as lights uh, to those who don't know you as much as we'll live and uh, match up with who we are in Christ. And so we pray that uh, as we continue to learn these things about the early church and to learn um, the things that have been provided to us uh, that are kind of in contrast to uh, or not necessarily in contrast, but a, a little bit advanced or more advanced than they had in the early church and a better understanding of how to utilize the Holy Spirit and to follow his lead that we might be ones that uh, glorify and honor you through our uh, actions and activities. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right, and so over in Ephesians chapter 1, now if the pastor were up here, he would say this is a wonderful <laughs> part of Scripture right <laughs> And this is a wonderful part of Scripture. <laughs> yeah, one of his favorites. <laughs> he tends to say that with every verse he comes to. <laughs> but this one we know is a just amazing in that Paul doesn't stop. He starts at verse one and he doesn't stop till he gets to the end, almost the end of the chapter with what he's saying concerning the great things that have been provided to us by grace. And so let's read from verse one. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God, even Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, in Christ, excuse me, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated or really here literally marked off the bounds for us unto the son placement Uh, by Jesus Christ, or really there you could say through Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, or the glory of his grace, 
wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us all in wisdom and prudence. Now, if you notice, he started at verse three and he hasn't stopped, right? Straight through. Now, if we were speaking in the English language and he had an English grammar teacher, they would call this a run on sentence. Right. He would have, he would have had a lot of red marks on his paper. But these are are good red marks to have as he's saying some amazing things concerning what we've been given in grace. And so in verse nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you uh, also uh, trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after uh, also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so what he's looking at here is how God is conducting all things in Christ. Right. And leading us by the Holy Spirit, even in this. But the mystery here is that he's going to continue doing this all the way out into the future. And so as you look into future dispensations that come after this one, he's still going to be working things through the church and he's still going to be utilizing us in our position in Christ. And he's still going to be utilizing the Holy Spirit to lead us into those things that he desires for us to do. Uh, and just an amazing uh, statement. We could continue reading on through the chapter is, as you've seen, there's not a period here yet. And of course, uh, the periods in scripture, um, if you look at the Greek language, the punctuation is a little bit different, but there still is ends to sentences. And he doesn't have one here. It just keeps going on and on. In six? Yes. Is it in the English or is it in the Greek? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably, <laughs> probably not there. Um, and I would study that one that one. Um, and so we also see over in uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, verse 4, as well as Colossians 4, 3, this mystery of the Christ. Now, uh, we've talked about it before here, the importance of these articles. Now, uh, it doesn't mean a lot to us, right, as we're reading through we just say, oh, <laughs> they might have a, a the there or they might not have one there that's there in the Greek. But I'll tell you, it's very important when you look at the Christ, because it could be that he's talking about a previous previous reference that was made in the same context. Or it could be that he's trying to distinguish a certain thing by saying the Christ here. I think he's distinguishing something. This is a body of believers, and we talked about this before, where Christ is at the head and we are the body. We comprise this whole body. Uh, and an amazing thing that's stated here. But go with me over to chapter 3. Again, if I were the pastor, I would just say, <laughs> boy, this is an amazing <laughs> chapter of Scripture. Yes, <laughs> wonderful. My favorite even. <laughs> We're going to have to give him a hard time from here on out. 
could probably hear us back there. <laughs> uh, we'll pick it up at verse 1. And he says there, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, uh, not, not really there if, but since you have heard of the dispensation of grace, of the grace of God, which is given uh, me to you word. So he says two things here that are huge. He says, one, that this dispensation of grace was given to me. And he says there is a dispensation of the grace from the God. Now, I know a lot of people like to argue a lot of things uh, concerning scripture. And a lot of people like to say that there is no such thing as dispensationalism. Well, I don't care what name you want to put on it, but here it appears to me in verse 2 that there is a, a definite call out that we are in a dispensation of the grace from the God. Now, a lot of the other ones you would have to apply or imply from this verse and understanding what God is doing in dispensations and looking back over time and apply that there. But if you want to argue against those, fine, but you can't argue this. It's right here in Scripture. Uh, and so we have a problem if we want to uh, believe otherwise. In verse 3 says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote aforetime in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of the Christ. Uh, in verse uh, 5, which in other ages was not made known. So he goes into a lot of detail here and tells you uh facts here concerning mysteries. And so he says here, which in other ages was not made known uh, unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was uh, made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given uh, unto me by the effectual working of his power. And so you see here uh, this mystery that Gentiles are a part of this body of Christ. And if you were to go uh, even further into the chapter, I believe he talks about the fact that Jews and Gentiles have been joined into one thing, right? Where before Jews looked down on the Gentiles and said, go even <laughs> get away from me and had a, a real restrictive attitude towards people who were non-Jew. Now we've been joined into one thing if we believe the facts of the gospel. And Christ is right at the head of that thing. And he's energizing in the rest of us to be able to accomplish his good purposes and his uh, or, or the will of the father. And so we see that here. Uh, if we were to continue on in verse nine, you're also going to see uh, another mystery <laughs> that's pointed out there. And so we'll continue reading. It says in verse eight unto me. Who am the less or am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make known uh, or to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be made uh, known by uh, the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, uh, in whom uh, we have boldness and access uh, and are with confidence by the faith uh, of him. And so you see the outworking 
uh, also of this and how it's working through the church and how we're able to uh, accomplish these things uh, through this mystery. Now, in uh, um, our next mystery is seen over in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32, uh, and you see the mystery of uh, the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5. It's funny, we have four, <laughs> four mysteries revealed right here in this, this book, so I guess it could be said that this is a, a wonderful <laughs> book of <laughs> that Paul has written here. Uh, just because of what's said. Now, what you see here, a lot of people will go to this context of Scripture to point out the marriage relationship and how it's supposed to work. And there is that uh, between the husband and the, uh, and the wife. But the comparison is seen to Christ being the head of the church and us being his bride. And this is a great revelation that we're able to see here. Uh, but pick it up. Let's go back a little bit because he starts off. And talking about how a spiritual person will relate to someone else. And so this doesn't just restrict itself to a marriage relationship. There are other relationships in which uh, a person is seen as kind of a, a lead position. And we have to put ourselves under the submission to that person. Now, what are some other things that we could look at? A person with a spiritual gift. Let's say a person with the gift of exhortation comes up to you and says, you know... I probably would do such and such a thing. And you say, get out of my face. You can't tell me what to do. Is that how we should react to a person that is being led by the spirit? We can only trust in what they're saying. No, you should listen to that person and hear them out. Now, whether you're led by the spirit to heed that person's advice, that's another thing. But the way that you react to them uh, is different. And so you should be submitting yourselves to the authority of that individual that has not been given them by themselves. God gave it to them. Uh, and hopefully, again, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. You guys are all submitting yourselves to me by listening to me using my spiritual gift here today. Right. You could say, boy, I'm sick of hearing Courtney. He talks about the same stuff all the time. I'm just going to go and look at my phone the rest of this service. No, you guys all appear to be paying attention. So I think you're submitting yourself uh, to the use of my spiritual gift here. And so he says in verse uh, 18, uh, and I, I hearken back again, Pastor Dave did a nice series on this. Uh, Wendy and Darlene probably remember it, where he really emphasized the fact that these people were putting themselves under the disposal of alcohol, which was influencing them in their activity rather than putting themselves under the Holy Spirit and allowing him to influence their activity. And so he says, stop being drunk with wine, whereas not excess. The word for excess really means unsavingness. And so you're not living while you're being drunk with alcohol in your present tense salvation. Right. You can't be filled with the spirit when when alcohol is influencing your mind. The Holy Spirit can't be your influence. And so he says, stop being drunk with wine, whereas in wherein is unsavingness. But be filled in contrast with being filled with wine, be filled with the spirit. And what is it going to look like when you are filled with the spirit? In verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to, to the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that you're just going around 
singing your latest songs or singing hymns <laughs> that are coming out that you know. But there is a, a concert, I would say, with the Holy Spirit. You're in harmony with the Holy Spirit. And whatever that looks like to you when you're spiritual, this is how it's going to come out, right? You're, you're in connection. <laughs> you're in oneness with the Holy Spirit, and he's directing your activity. And so that's the way uh, it looks when it's uh, when you're actually spiritual. In verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God, the father or and the father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ submitting. And so when you're spiritual, it won't be hard for you to submit yourself to someone else. Right. You go into work on a daily basis. And if your boss tells you something and you're not spiritual and you don't like what he has to say, you might react a little different than you would when you're spiritual, right? I'm sure Wendy knows. There's, <laughs> I'm, I know Wendy's spiritual all the time when she goes to work. But <laughs> oh, well, there you cannot be spiritual and they don't have to see it, right? <laughs> but, but someone might tell you something, right, when you're not spiritual and you're under that person's authority and you might not react like you would <laughs> when you're spiritual. Children. Right. I, I remember it when I was younger because I was saved at a young age. And even as a teenager, boy, you just don't react the same to your parents when they tell you something to do as when you're when you're spiritual. Right. And when you're when you're running a little bit on your your flesh there. And probably I tended to run on my flesh a little bit more than my spirit when I was a, a teenager. And so my reactions might not have been what they should have been, been, but submitting, submitting yourselves. And that's placing yourself under the authority of someone else who God is allowed to be placed over you in order that you receive the benefit that's provided by that leadership. And understanding that that leadership is not just something that's just been placed over you. God has allowed it to be placed over you. If you're where you are, it's you're where you are because God put you there. And that person, whether they be saved or unsaved, is over you because God has allowed it. And so you can put yourself under their authority. And so submitting yourselves one to another uh, in the fear of God and really here specifically, uh, again, you could branch that out to other things and walks in life. But here specifically speaking of uh, relationships to other believers. And so submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And so then he goes into detail. What are some of these relationships? Wives, submit yourselves unto your very own husband as unto the Lord. Now, it's probably a, a hard a lot of times when you look at husbands, <laughs> right? And we're flawed individuals. And you look at that individual and say, man, I don't know. <laughs> Should I be submitting myself to this individual? I don't know. But are you submitting yourself to that individual or is it who God placed over you? And so I think it's very important that he says here, wives, submit yourselves unto your very own husbands as unto that man. No, as unto the Lord, because he's the ultimate authority. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. See that comparison there? Christ in the church. And you're going to see this replayed. And he's he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the or in like manner, let the wives be uh, to their very own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. And so he doesn't let the husbands off. 
because there's going to be times that the wife doesn't submit to the husband. And how do you respond to your wife? Do you respond to her in anger and in bitterness of not submitting yourselves to them? No, you're supposed to respond to them in love and, and provide to them the things that they need. And so he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself on behalf of it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing uh, of water by the word, or really there by a word, uh, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought the men or ought men to love their very own wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man hath yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes uh, it, even as the Lord, uh, the church. For we are members of his body and of uh, his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they uh, two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So it wasn't a mystery how the husband and wife should be able to conduct themselves one to another. The mystery is that there's a comparison between the relationship with the husband and wife to that of Christ and the church. And this is something that hadn't uh, been revealed before in verse 33 says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, so love his wife, even as himself and wives see that you, uh, she reverence, reverence her husband or, or have respect toward her husband. And so we see that there. Now, we also have the mystery of the indwelling Christ. And if you're uh, calculating it together, you could all kind of say that Paul has uh, uh, another epistle here that's connected with the Ephesians epistle, because these are kind of sister epistles, as it were. Uh, and so he has two mysteries that he revealed here. And so in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, we see the mystery of the indwelling Christ. And let's pick it up. Let's go back to verse 18, because there are some pertinent things that are said here uh, early on. Oh, verse 15. Verse 14, last time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's start at the beginning of the chapter. It's a wonderful context of Scripture. <laughs> My dad's going to hear that I've been Don't talking about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> verse 14, he says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, uh, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now, a, a little context of what was going on here in Colossae, they were worshiping these angels like that they were something more than God. And he has to remind them that the physical things that you see, as well as the inanimate things that you see, they were all created by God. 
And so there is nothing that's greater than him, nothing that deserves worship or reference, but him that created all things. And so he has to, it's amazing that people get their minds into the place where they're worshiping the creation more than the creator. Didn't we see that in the book of Romans in the first chapter, that that's what happened in the Old Testament, that they got to a place where the creation was more amazing to them than the one that created it. And we keep coming back to that over time. It's an amazing thing. In verse 17, he says, and he is before all things and by all things or by him, all things consist or this idea of are being held together. What does it say over in second Peter? All things are being held together by a word of his power. And when he decides that he's going to unloose those things, this whole thing is going <laughs> to blow up. Right. And so it's, it's his word that's holding everything together. In verse 18, and he is the head of the body. What did we talk about with the Christ? Here it is, the com, uh, comprising of it here. He is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it, it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present uh, you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Uh, if you continue or remain or abide in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved, moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was uh, preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. Really there, I believe that's the Christ uh, in my flesh for his body's sake, uh, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. Here goes that, that little uh, nagging word again, <laughs> dispensation, that some people don't like to hear. The dispensation of God, which is given to me uh, for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and generations, but is now made manifest to the saints. And so he clearly says what a mystery is here again. This is something that's been hidden from people before uh, in ages and generations to whom God would made known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And so what is he saying here? That the only place that we can glorify God, the only place where God's glory can be shown uh, through us, is by the indwelling of his son. And if it weren't for the fact that we had a position in Christ that we can retreat to and that we can live in and that God can empower us through, that it can be seen the fact that Christ liveth in us, 
then we wouldn't be able to be, uh, to be able to glorify God. What's that song that uh, sung uh, there from a young age? I don't know if everyone's heard it, but this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, nobody's light would be shining if it weren't for the fact that the sun is indwelling you, right? And, and it's that idea, I think it was a pastor that said a, a, a couple weeks ago, that the moon doesn't have light in and of itself, right? It just reflects the light of the sun. We reflect the light of the sun. We're reflectors. None of us have glory within ourselves or in and of ourselves. We reflect the glory of the sun. And so his indwelling in that regard is very important. Uh, we also see over in chapter 2, in verse 2, now you can't uh, have me go back too far as we continue to read on here. Plus, we've already read the previous context. So we won't have to go back too far for context. Uh, but in verse 2, we're going to see that there are possessions uh, that are in Christ. Uh, and this was a mystery. And so in verse 1, it says, For I would, would not or I don't desire that you, uh, or I, I do desire that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as uh, I have not seen uh, or have not seen my face in the flesh. And if you were we were to put a map up, you could see these three cities of Ephesus. You see Colossae and you see uh, Laodicea. They're all together. And so these were uh, uh, what is that valley called? <laughs> they were all in I believe it's called the Lycus Valley. Uh, where all three of these churches were within close proximity to one another. And so he's kind of mentions them together in verse two, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all uh, riches of the full assurance of understanding to acknowledge and uh, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the father and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, and this I say, lest any man should be, uh, beguile you uh, with enti enticing words. And so we go from this uh, indwelling of Christ to the expansion of the importance of the Godhead to those things that we have in Christ, right? We have all of these treasures because we have these persons of the Godhead that have provided them all for us. Uh, and so any wisdom that can be known, anything that we can know in our flesh, it's because of the persons of the Godhead. And they are our protection. Our position in Christ is our uh, protection from this false teaching that you would receive from other people. And so uh, the very importance of understanding, uh, I like the way Pastor Dave coined it a long time ago. And he said, me and three, three and me, Right. We are in the persons of the Godhead, and because we are in them, they indwell us. And the other two are, are not as emphasized sometimes as, as uh, Christ is in understanding that we have a position in Christ, but you're also in the other persons of the Godhead, and those other persons of the Godhead are living in you. And because of that, um, again, not only are we able to show forth the glory of God, but we have a lot of possessions that come as a result of that uh, in Christ. Uh, then uh, the mystery of lawlessness we see over in Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse seven. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse seven. Now, uh, if we 
can keep picking on the pastor, but if he were here, <laughs> his favorite, uh, one, of, one of his favorite contexts of scripture is the last chapter where we come off of talking about uh, what's going to happen to those unsaved people, right, <laughs> that have troubled believers in this, in this uh, lifetime. And so we won't go that far back, uh, but we'll go uh, to verse one of chapter two. As we look out into the future, uh, really, you don't have to even look out into the future. When you understand Satan is just a being that was created by God, right? And sometimes we ascribe a lot more power to Satan than he deserves. Sometimes we don't give him enough credit for what he is. And, and some people would like to think they could trample all over him like he's nothing. Well, he, he's very much more powerful than all other created beings. But he's very much less powerful than God, right? And so we have to understand this. And so Satan doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know the future. He can understand scripture and what's been written out from scripture and kind of put things together. And he has demons that are there to help him out. But he's not an all-powerful being. And so as far as Satan's plans and purposes, he has to always have things ready for this time that God's going to allow him uh, to do what it is that he wants to do. So in verse one, it says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as a day of Christ is at hand. Now, here's something that you should be comforted by. As believers, and I know there's a lot of believers because I've ran into some of them that like to believe a lot of different things concerning the order of events uh, that are going to happen in the future. And you can really shake someone up. Right. What if you were to tell people that right now we're currently living in the tribulation period? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's going to unsettle people a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> it would unsettle me. <laughs> I would look at some of these things happening and say, my God, <laughs> what's going to happen here? Uh, and that's what people do. And so he's telling them not to be shaken. Uh, and he's pleading to them on the basis of the Lord's coming, saying it has not happened yet. There is a coming of the Lord. And he's not talking about the second coming. He's talking about the rapture and our gathering together with him. <laughs> this, this is very clearly stated here. In verse three says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first. He emphasizes it, a falling away. And he's not talking about a falling away or an apostasy where people are fleeing and, and going away from the gospel. This is not what he's talking about. The context does not support that. And so this falling away relates to our gathering together with him and his coming. Uh, and so you can relate those things right on top of each other. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition or destruction. In verse four, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with, yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth uh, that he might be revealed in his time. And so he's telling you here, there's something 
This man of sin is always ready to be revealed. And there's something that's holding it back from happening. And I would plead to you and say and submit that it's us. <laughs> We're the ones that are holding it back. Because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see when we're taken out of the way, Satan's going to know, okay, game on. It's time to start unveiling some of these things that I've had plans for for years. And so he says uh, in verse 7, for the mystery of really here, not iniquity. Remember, we've talked about this word before that it can translate a lot of things. But I would say here, lawlessness, the mystery of lawlessness or of sin that already work. Only he that now letteth will let. And this uh, idea of letteth, it has the idea of holding or restraining something. He that is now restraining will restrain until uh, he be taken out of the way. And so I believe what this is talking about is the fact that there are believers on this earth and we all have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when we are taken out of the way, it will be time uh, for him to reveal this man of sin. So Satan, not knowing all things, not being omniscient as God is, what does he do? He always has someone in place. Even right now, as you look out over this landscape and see everything that's going on, there's someone sitting on this earth today that if we were removed out of the way, Satan would quickly allow that person to come into power. And that's our quote-unquote antichrist that people like to call it. But here we see that he's called the man of sin and he'll have uh, complete power over uh, the world. And so it, in verse 8 it says, And then shall uh, that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall uh, destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Now, an interesting thing about this guy, you see two people that are called the sons of perdition. You see this man and you see Judas. And I think the similarity between the two of these people is that Satan is going to have control over the actions of this man, just like he had control over the actions of Judas there at the, uh, at the end when he betrayed the Lord. But this is the mystery uh, that hadn't been revealed, that this person is always ready uh, to be revealed until uh, the church is taken out of the way. Now, uh, over in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 9, do we have time to get into that one? No, let's hold that for next week because we'll come back to both of those last two are in the same context and we're a minute <laughs> away from being over time. Uh, but we'll come back and look at those last two and then we'll close out uh, these things concerning uh, apostles. And then next uh, next time we want to get into uh, prophets and these gifts of, of prophecy that we saw uh, early in the church. And uh, we'll continue on through some of these spiritual gifts that, that permeated the church early. Let's bow in the word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful for your grace again that you provided to us that we uh, get a chance to see some of these things from your word and now we can look at the things that are going on in the world and, and we can uh, not be ones that are fearful or scared, uh, but that we're confident uh, concerning your control over all things and that uh, at your appointed time, you're going to uh, send your son back <laughs> to collect us and there's, uh, the plan will continue on. And so we 
Uh, pray that we will be ones that are uh, living in light of, of that great mystery uh, of the indwelling Christ, uh, that we uh, live in accordance with who we are in Christ so that the indwelling Christ can be seen through us. And because of that, you might be glorified and uh, uh, others would see you uh, and your son through us. We're grateful for, uh, again, the week and the opportunities, opportunities it brings. And we uh, uh, just pray for um, the uh, continual foc- uh, continued focus on uh, those things that we're uh, supposed to do. And we pray it in your son's name. Amen.